Tonight, a special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Fires burning across North Carolina. New breaking details about the cause of this fire seen here on Pilot Mountain, plus on-location reports. We'll also explain how the weather has made it a prime threat for fires across the state, and that's why there's a statewide burn ban in effect. It is Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. I am James Briarton, and welcome to... A- live special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Of course, the next hour, we'll be taking your questions about the fire weather thread. We'll also be looking at the forecast to find out if and when any rain is in sight and what that means for the drought conditions that we are seeing. Our Carolina Weather Group panelist will be along in just a moment for more insight. We start with our guest this week. He is Christian Morgan, meteorologist at WFMY in Greensboro. Welcome back to the show, Christian. It's good to see you. Hey, James, good to see you guys. It's been a little while, uh, but uh, happy to join you guys on the Carolina Weather Group again. Well, we are happy to have you back, but uh, I wish it was under better conditions. We learned tonight from the Forest Service that the Pilot Mountain fire, one of two of them, or really both of them, I should say, caused by human beings. I guess not too much of a shock there. This one caused by a campfire. This is inside your television viewing area. I have a bunch of weather-related questions for you, but as somebody who's been following this very closely, can you just kind of give our statewide, our our regional audience kind of the latest on what's been transpiring in your neck of the woods? Yeah, sure. So um, this actually started the call about this fire actually came in. The first call ever reported uh, to the 911 center here uh, was actually up in Surrey County, was actually on Saturday evening around 515. Um, And at that point, um, you know, of course, crews were called in and about nine o'clock that night, you know, um, we started to see some video. We started to see some pictures of that here uh, in the Piedmont. And, you know, when you first take a look at it, you know that it's been dry, you know that it's been breezy, uh, you know, we haven't had any rain or any rain in the forecast to come. And the first thing, you know, that kind of comes to your mind is, oh, no, um, because a couple of weeks prior to this now, we also had the Saratown Mountain fires, you know, just a couple miles away from that. Um, thankfully, those didn't last too long and they were able to, able to put those out. But then, of course, you know, that's always in the back of your mind and you go to bed Saturday night thinking, you know, that th- this really could end up being a, a bad situation. So uh, we wake up Sunday morning and obviously the fire is still burning. And then around 830, uh, we were able to confirm Marissa Tensino and I, who were handling the Sunday morning show at WFMY, confirmed with the forestry service there that 100 acres had been burned at that point. Um, and that kind of really takes you back and you say, this really is about to be a big deal. Um, this is something that's not going to be over fast uh, and will likely burn a, a large area or a large chunk of that of that state park and of that mountain. Uh, and of course, as the days and, and days have progressed this week, we not only you know would add to that acreage, but we would double an acreage each day. So it was 100 acres Sunday morning by Sunday night. It was about 180 acres that have been burned. The Forestry Service uh, was able to confirm and then, you know, Tuesday and uh, was, you know, 250, 280 acres. And then, of course, uh, yesterday we finally found out, you know, we were up to about 500 acres uh, that were burned late on Tuesday night. And then, of course, um, you know, you are late on Monday night, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. And then you wake up on, on, on Tuesday and then realize yesterday afternoon that this thing has spread really, really quickly, if not tripling in size, and it burned around a thousand acres. Um, and just kind of put that in, into perspective for you. Uh, you know, a lot of folks watching may not be necessarily from from the triad, but they may be somewhere close by. Of course, North Carolina, South Carolina. If you think about Appalachian State University, the main campus there in Boone is about 420 acres, give or take a little bit. So this was a thousand acres that had been burned 
on Pilot Mountain State Park. So it kind of puts that in perspective for you. The, the good news, I guess, if there's any out of this, is that it was all it has all been confined to the state park area and to the mountain. There are um, some homes close by on the south side of the mountain once you get to the bottom. And there's uh, Shoals Elementary School that's pretty close by to the state park on the west side of the mountain. Um, and of, course, so of course, so the goal is to try to stop the fire, of course, but the main goal is to keep it away from those homes and from people and from those that school and those businesses there. Uh, and thankfully they, they have been able to do so, but you know, it's just been a, a really quickly evolving situation. And of course you draw it all back to our weather, nothing in the weather, nothing in the forecast at all. Zero zilch nada has been in favor of these firefighters fighting the weather. Of course, you know, it's super dry. Um, and, and a lot of times this year we kind of lose track about how dry we get because we don't, it's not so hot. We're not worried about the temperature so much. But now, you know, it kind of reminds us about how dry that we've been. And, you know, most all of us are abnormally dry, if not moving into moderate drought conditions. And you also you kind of go back to looking at your records and looking how much you normally get you you normally get for the month of November in the triad where our records are kept out of PTI. We average around three inches of rain. We haven't even got half of an inch of rain um, throughout throughout the month of November. So it, it has been super, super dry. Um, and then, of course, you couple that along with a breeze that we've had from time to time. And of course, it gets breezier this time of the year as well. Um, just kind of nature of the beast, right? You know, you have several more systems, several more cold fronts that move through. Of course, those kind of contrasts are what drive wind. And so we just had this 25, 20 to 25 mile per hour gusty breeze, you know, that's been persisting for several days. It dies down a little bit at night. But of course, you go into the daytime and you start to see the winds kick up again. Um, so it's been super dry. It's been gusty. Uh, and windy. There's no rain in the forecast, really no measurable rain that I see, at least for the Piedmont, the next shot at rain, I think we get is late in the weekend and early next week. And even at that point, you know, I, I think saying a quarter of an inch of rain, maybe pushing, maybe pushing it. So uh, it, it's really dry. We need some rain. And it also, you know, we have to think about this time of the year, you know, we talk a lot about leaves and we talk about the fall foil, uh, foliage. And a lot of those leaves have fallen in the last several weeks. And of course, it's been dry. The ground's dry. You have dry leaves and it doesn't take much at all to get, you know, maybe one ember from something. It could be anything as as simple as a cigarette and the wind gets up and carries that ember in a leaf somewhere else. And then you end up getting a situation like this. Um, So there are just so, so many factors, so many factors that that have been going into this thing. Yeah, I want to show people a map real fast, Christian, because you mentioned where this is located. And you're right. I, I wasn't super familiar with it. I live in, in Charlotte and this is, you know, to the northwest of Winston-Salem up towards, you know, the Virginia line, more or less speaking, kind of broadly across the area. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. Was this all contained to I know the fire service was kind of considering it two separate fires, but are they really one in the same as far as the public is concerned? Yeah, you know, they're pretty much one in the same. And like you said, it has all been confined to the state park area. Uh, and we over the course of, of the week, we've been talking not only about the Pilot Mountain fires that have now officially been called the Grindstone fires. Reason for that is the fire actually started near the Grindstone Trail on Pilot Mountain. So that's why this is officially being called the Grindstone fire. So if you you know, if you're looking at this on the Internet, you may not be from the area. You, you can't find the Pilot Mountain fires, quote unquote. If you're looking for that Grindstone fire, that's the official name for it. Of course, the Grindstone fire on pilot mountain um but of course you go back to where i mentioned about the saratown mountain fires a couple weeks ago through this and of course the weather that we've had we also found out that those hot spots on saratown mountain had reignited a couple of those had um so it's all kind of in the same vicinity but the grindstone fire 
and the Saratown Mountain Fire are two separate things, but I mean, they're close together. They're right there within a couple of miles of each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause the grindstone fire, as you mentioned, just over a thousand acres, 50% yeah. contained tonight, according to the fire service, 87 personnel continuing to fight that fire tonight. Uh, and this is the one that a lot of people will associate with pilot mountain. And we have video there from uh, that location that Dan Whitaker shot. We're going to get to him in just a few moments. Also teasing ahead, Christian, you mentioned how kind of embers can be carried by the wind. We actually have an experiment that kind of shows how that happens. We're going to pull that out of the Carolina weather group archive along with some sound from the forest service who joined us in 2020 talking about what you can do to protect your home but also the fact that 98 percent of the fires in north carolina are caused by human beings and yeah. that is that is outstanding in a bad way that number is just overwhelming that 98 percent of these theoretically could be prevented if we as human beings did a better job, um, let me ask you about this because there is a weather c contribution to this, Christian. You know, you talked about no rain. You talked about wind. We're also hearing a lot about humidity and we're hearing people ask, what does the humidity have to do with any of this other than drying out my hands and my lips and all that jazz? What does that play in terms of igniting a fire? So, I mean, if you have at least a little bit of moisture into the atmosphere, right? I mean, just anything at all, um, that can actually help, you know, suppress because all that humidity is, is water, right? That, that's where we get our dew points. That's where that humidity comes from. So any kind of water that you have in the atmosphere can actually kind of tamp that down, uh, can tamp that fire danger down a bit. Actually makes the air a little more heavy too. Um, so when the air is super, super dry and, and all dried out like it is right now, you know, the air is very light. Um, it's not, you know, cold air is very dense as well. So you add the humidity to it, and it makes the air a little more thicker, right? So it, it, it's actually a little bit harder for things to blow around. It can kind of hold, you know, it, it may seem very, very minuscule, but it can actually hold some of those leaves down to the ground a bit or actually keep them to get them to lay a little bit better. But, you know, we've had d uh, humidity levels this week, you know, in the 30 to 40% range. I mean, I, I think our most humid day, if you will, uh, is really looking like tomorrow, Thursday, and even, even at that rate, you know, we're at 60% humidity. So it's still super, super dry. A lot of times what we use to, of course, kind of give folks and give the public an idea of how humid or how thick the atmosphere, how humid it is outside is usually those dew points, you know, and, and right now to kind of put that in perspective for you in the summer, when we talk about thick humidity, you know, we're talking about temperatures in the 80s and 90s but we're talking about dew points in the 60s and 70s. And so that's really, really thick. And, and if you know that, We'll put that in perspective now with our dew points in the 20s, even in the teens in, in some cases. I mean, it's super, super dry. There's hardly any moisture in the atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, of course, that does dry your hands out. It's what I like to call chapstick, chapstick air. Um, but it is super, super dry. There's no moisture, just no moisture in the atmosphere at all. Yeah, it's it's been unbelievably dry for us humans, but also this prime fire weather. And I thought the National Weather Service in Roanoke said it so well in one of their bulletins the other day. They said on Sunday night ahead of the cold front on Monday that conditions on Monday were going to be prime for out of control fires. And it was just all of those things put together. And it's something as simple as a campfire causing here a thousand acres to to burn and it's just very impressive imagery that you know dan whitaker has shared with us and you guys have had on your air too at wfmy and graphics from evan fisher here at the carolina weather group showing that moderate drought across much of the carolinas if you're listening to our audio podcast tonight just know that most of the carolinas is in some form of an abnormal or moderate drought stage because of that lack of rain and you can even see here we've had temperatures that have been um 
kind of cool, kind of dry, and you can see total precipitation here for November coming in at 20, 40, almost 40, 50% drier in some places than um, I think it was supposed to be, if I'm reading this correctly. And, and and that's exactly what Christian was referring to when he said that their measurements there in the triad have been lower than usual as well, too. I want to bring in the rest of our Carolina Weather Group panel. We got Scotty Powell in Morganton, Frank Strait in Columbia. Jared Smith is joining us from Charleston. And somewhere in the mix of things, I believe, is supposed to be our pal Dan Whitaker, uh, who shot some of this outstanding video we're having some um technical things come together here on tonight's live broadcast but so let me just ask the the black void that is that top right box dan whitaker is that you um yes that is me can you hear me we can hear you we can't see you but why don't you talk over these these amazing but scary images you recorded earlier in the week and tell us what it was like to head on out there to surrey county okay um yeah so uh it's been an interesting few days here uh, as I've been traveling around Pilot Mountain and um, seeing the different vantage points of this wildfire. Basically, uh, I guess Monday evening is when I first kind of went out there, or Monday afternoon, and um, I ended up going back uh, Monday evening and then Tuesday and then uh, today as well. So I've kind of um, uh, seen a, uh, a mix of different um, – scenes of this wildfire ranging from the major blaze that happened uh as the knob caught fire um and then some of this imagery even from as uh soon as um i guess i guess actually sunday was the first day i went out there and then this would have been from monday so yeah basically it's it's been interesting um the first thing that was very uh eventful about this was was kind of the amount of public interest um when driving around the mountain, uh, way more traffic than I've ever seen in some of these small roads. Uh, all the locals, people from further away, photographers, news agencies, um, anybody with an interest in Pilot Mountain or in uh, natural phenomena or uh, in wildfires itself came out to this. Um, and, uh, you know, that had its uh, negatives, of course, with jamming up roads and um, kind of being a spectacle. Uh, but I think we are all kind of looking at the same thing, which is what a uh, incredible and devastating sight. Um, you could see the flames, you could see the fire lines, you could see the smoke rising. And um, just as what we're seeing in, in these visuals here, um, it was a fascinating and kind of horrifying thing to watch at the same time. And I think that's why everybody came out to see it. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on there, Dan. And it's it's something that the rest of us and the rest of the Carolinas and the region need to keep in mind, too. And that's why state officials have put that burn ban in effect. So we don't see images like this repeated elsewhere. We'll talk to Scotty Powell in a moment. He visited another fire burning in McDowell County. But before you go tonight, Christian, I know you guys have been following this very closely in your newsroom. What is it that rangers who have been on the scene throughout this have been telling you? Well, you know, this evening, uh, they did actually confirm to us that this was a campfire that started this fire. And, of course, a campfire that was burning in a restricted area. Um, and, of course, you know, that's kind of been the number one question that people have been asking us all along ever since this started was, what started it? Who started it? Where did it start? And I think initially, you know, people just want something to to blame or something to be mad at or somebody to be mad at. Um, and, you know, it just weather was not in the cards for this. Obviously, you know, we've had obviously no rain. 
we haven't had any storms. There's been no lightning. So it was almost a given that there was some kind of human intervention here. They, of course, did confirm that this evening, that it was a campfire in a restricted area that did end up causing this fire here. So, of course, law, uh, law enforcement now is trying to track down who who those folks are that, that had that campfire and exactly where they are, where they where and when they were camping. But anyway, they did confirm that it was a campfire in a restricted area that did start that fire. Um, and, and one thing they've been telling us today is kind of about their recovery efforts. They're starting the mopping phase right now. And um, they also were telling us that they have the fire 50% contained at this point. And I feel like the word containment or talking about how contained the fire is right now can kind of be a little bit of a misleading term to some folks. People don't really understand what containment is. You know, it's not saying that 50% of the fire is under control and 50% is still raging and still spreading uh, because that's actually not what's happening. So just to draw a little perspective here for the word containment, uh, you know, firefighters are, are digging those trenches and creating those barriers. So half of that, 50% of that, of that barrier is complete, which means if the fire were to reignite or were to try to spread again, that part of the containment block or containment trench or barrier that they're digging, or that they're digging would actually stop that from reigniting and from spreading further. Yeah, and we'll we'll show and talk about a little bit exactly what you're describing in making these fire breaks um, because they are crucial to the firefighting efforts coming up uh, in a few moments in, in another clip. But um, I, I think if there's a silver lining to any of this, it's that th so far, as you mentioned off the top of our show tonight, it has stayed away from any structures. They got the campground safely evacuated. No injuries have been reported. We do have some smoke. We have obviously some impressive fire uh, built up by all of those prime conditions, the dry vegetation this time of year in the fall combined with our dry weather. Part of this, I guess you could argue is, is natural. This is what the environment does to kind of reset the forest, but it's, it's doing this in a, in a managed way throughout our developed society that I think is key. So we can keep it from impacting structures and infrastructure and, and all that jazz. Um, Christian, I know you have to hop off because you have a, an early call tomorrow morning for TV. Let me ask these guys real fast uh, on our live show here tonight, Scotty and Frank and Jared, Dan, does anybody have any questions for uh, Christian before we cut them loose? Don't all chime in at once now. <laughs> Go to bed, Christian. Go to bed. Thank you, Scotty. Hey, I will mention this real fast, too, sure. um, and then, then I will jump off here. James, you, you were mentioning about, you know, the vegetation, and, and in some ways this is a good thing for, for the forest and for the woods like that. I guess kind of the, uh, one more silver lining to this is that this has been mostly a ground and surface fire, not so much a canopy fire. So this mm -hmm. hasn't been spreading from the tops of trees. It was basically – it looks like, you know, in the pictures, a lot of this and a lot of the burning has all been done on the ground. And when you look at some of these pictures inside the park uh, from yesterday, one thing that stands out to me is, yeah, there's some damaged trees, but there's also a lot of trees that are still alive. Um, and so that, of course, is really good news as we kind of, you know, reset and then we, and we start the recovery process. So, you know, I would say this, a lot of, a lot of folks have been writing into me or emailing or writing on my my social media pages you know rip rest in peace pilot mountain it was a good run we'll miss you and this is not at all a death sentence to the mountain uh you know these kind of things happen all the time of course there was the fire back in 2012 on pilot mountain that burned about 800 acres this is a little bigger than that but just like the mountain bounced back after that one we'll bounce back after this so we'll be hiking pilot mountain again we'll be enjoying its beauty again it'll just take some time Absolutely, Christian. And we do appreciate you uh, always coming on with your your insights. We're not kicking you off, but we know 
Sleep is important. And, Bye, uh, Senior C. We appreciate all you guys at WFNY. Thank you, Christian. Um, Scotty, we'll get to you in a moment to talk about what you saw in McDowell County. We still have the voice of Dan Whitaker with us. Uh, Dan, we're taking a look at your amazing imagery here. This is time lapse. How did you how did you shoot this? So. The fire itself is um, to the human eye kind of a little bit dark at night. Um, So in order to kind of capture some of the flames and. the actual brightness of, of what was happening, I had to do some long exposure photography. Um, so basically every um, video you see here is, is a mix of pictures that were kind of uh, put together in order to create a video with each of the pictures being around uh, one to four seconds long. Uh, and that was able to expose uh, the scene properly and actually show what was going on, uh, which would have been a little bit more dark to the human eye. Um, nonetheless, the amber glow, um, was visible from all around the mountain and from quite a good distance away. Um, it was the most ominous thing the first night I went on Sunday night and saw the amber glow from a a road, probably, uh, 15 miles from the mountain. And, uh, that's when I knew that things were getting pretty serious. And that was the night where the, uh, the, the whole kind of mountain caught and uh, went up onto the knob. Um, uh, so since then, you know, there's been definitely some um, some flames visible, some smoke and stuff, but nothing like what I saw Sunday night. Um, I shot some real-time video as well, just kind of press and record, like what you would do on a cell phone or a video camera. But um, I found that time-lapsing was kind of my best way to show the movement of the fire. Um, I also was very curious to see uh, really kind of how it moved with the idea of hoping that the fire department and the forestry service could look at the videos and kind of um, put some sense to it later and try and figure out how the winds and the um, the elements kind of affected the, the movement and the growth of the fire. Yeah, I remember taking a look at your imagery the other night of watching that fire spread up towards the knob, and that was impressive. And your your images being shared around the world as we as we've seen uh, news outlets picking them up, including the Weather Channel here domestically. And I, I think it is those that, that nighttime when it gets really dark and you're looking at that contrast of the fire up against the darkness that really makes it pop, and you really kind of get the sense of just how big of a fire we've been talking about again, 1,050 acres as of latest count here on December the 1st and a number that unfortunately probably is going to get bigger as we're looking at a fire that's 50% contained. Um, Scotty Powell, you had a chance to visit another fire today. This one in Marion, McDowell County, Western North Carolina mountains. What did you see there? Yeah. So um, this is going to be going down as Chris was talking about the grindstone. Uh, we had been first seeing the Pogue Mountain, but this is actually the Huntsville Mountain Fire. Uh, currently right now, 200 acres being burned with about 30% of uh, containment there. And you can see, uh, here's some of the pictures and videos that I shot. Uh, this isn't a very, very, <laughs> I can't exaggerate as much how rugged the terrain is. There's actually no roads that lead to this mountain. The only way to get there is to drop water from helicopters like you see there in the video or to get in some sort of uh, all-terrain vehicle and and try to trek up there. Uh, So I'm afraid this fire is probably going to be around for a while just until there's a a way to get to it. So uh, right now, not bothering any structures, but 
little concerning, if you ask me, uh, is once we get this cold front uh, or the southwest winds to to uh, to get up and going ahead of this cold front moving through this weekend, it's actually going to start blowing this fire into a more populated area, especially the smoke into like the greater Marion area. Um, on, on the lee side or on the, the leading side of this fire, there's actually some homes there. So uh, we'll have to watch that over the next few days, and, and hopefully we can get some containment lines close enough that, that it doesn't jump over those. But, um, you know, this is uh, started up um, really early last night. And to kind of go back, I was actually in Marion yesterday around 1 o'clock, and uh, Tim Buckley texted me around 4.35 o'clock. He's like, hey, I heard there's a fire in your area. And I was like – hadn't heard of anything and then uh, i kind of went through some research and figured out it was this fire in mcdowell county so this had to happen after one two o'clock yesterday because i was actually close to this area and didn't notice any smoke at all so uh it really uh, grew quite rapidly um from last night to today to almost 200 acres uh, again uh, conditions are, are really dry around here and uh, the winds are gusty uh, a lot of uh, foliage down uh, dead leaves and grass and things like that so just the prime um, prime candidate for this fire to continue to grow over the next few days and with no rain in sight uh, we're going to have to watch this fire as well and, and probably other locations as we uh, go out through throughout the rest of this week so uh, this is called the Huntsville uh, mountain fire so if you start to see that in the news over the next few days uh, this is what it looks like here in McDowell County. Scotty, you mentioned the terrain that is an aspect in this fire. And as we mentioned off the top of the show, we were able to talk to the North Carolina Fire Service in an episode of the Carolina Weather Group that aired in 2020. We went back to that episode today to find out which tidbits were relevant to share with you again tonight. And in one part of the interview here, they talk about the difficulty in fighting fires in terrain such as this. Take a listen from our 2020 interview. Looking at mountainous areas versus coastal plains, so like what, what would be differences between a fire in the mountains in western North Carolina and a fire in eastern North Carolina? So, you know, w whenever we're dealing with fires in the, uh, the, western, the western part of North Carolina or the mountains, you know, the biggest difference there is we have a, we have a lot of terrain to deal with. Um, whenever you have a wildfire on a steep slope, it's going to burn typically a lot faster going upslope. Um, the other issue that we run into is uh, the equipment that we can use in some of these terrains. Um, you, know, you can't put a bulldozer on a 50 or 60% slope. Um, you can, it's just very, very tricky. <laughs> uh, so most of the firefighting that we do in, you know, in that type of terrain is you know, a lot of manpower with hand tools. So there you have it. And we have two fires uh, tonight, as we've been talking about here on this live edition of the Carolina Weather Group that are in these mountainous regions. And that's why they've just gone ahead and issued a, a burn ban statewide. And, and that means everything. That means don't burn your leaves. Don't burn a campfire. If you had a burn permit, it has been effectively canceled until the conditions improve because of what we are seeing. Scotty. 
Yeah, and James, I'll go on that. There's actually some counties now and local municipalities that are issuing their own burn bans. This burn ban from the state says anything 100, 100 yards or further away from your, your dwelling, uh, you can't burn. But now some of the counties are saying that even within 100 feet of your dwelling, and that means there's fire pits. If you like to go out and make s'mores or you're just set by a bonfire, can't do that now. A lot of counties, a lot of cities are banning those as well. So uh, that just shows you how serious the situation is. And it, honestly, it takes just a little bit of a spark and, and we could see this. And James, uh, we don't know the cause of this one in McDowell County, but I will tell you this. I was around the area today. There's some hunting land in this vicinity of where this mountain's at. It is high, uh, peak deer season. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of hunters that are out in the woods right now. And I'm not saying that that's what caused it, but, you know, any my, minute spark of fire with how dry it is and, and the conditions can really uh, expand a fire quickly. And, and we saw that last night, McDowell County into today. Yeah, let's go back to that uh, 2020 interview we did with the Forest Service. As we mentioned, 98% of fires here in the state of North Carolina are caused by humans. They're not caused by lightning. They're not caused by weather. They're caused by humans. So while we don't know the official cause of the fire that Scotty was at today, statistically speaking, I think we have a pretty good inkling. Here's some of that context. So in North Carolina, we have around 98% of our fires are caused by humans. <laughs> that <laughs> <So> is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only 2% are caused by lightning, and that's different in a lot of other parts of the country. But here, with our wildland-urban interface, we have a lot of population, so we have a lot of human-caused fires. And some of those are um, debris burning is our major cause, around 38%. And then incendiary is about 20%. Miscellaneous, 14%. And then it goes all the way down to camping at 1%. So it's a variety of human causes, but our main one is debris burning. Yeah, and this time of year, it means fall leaves. It might mean pine straw. Or as we've seen with these two fires near Pilot Mountain, it was exactly that last one. It was campfires. We've been talking a lot about North Carolina, but we don't want to leave South Carolina out because conditions are just as dry there. And they may not have a statewide burn ban. But I think Frank Strait is also sitting at the edge of his seat thinking, it's a little dry here. Frank, what's the situation like in South Carolina? Uh, yeah, James, it sure is dry down here. We haven't had uh, the same uh, magnitude of wildfires here in South Carolina yet. Uh, there have been a few, and I'll talk about that as we go along. I'm going to do a screen share here to uh, show off a, a couple of things here that I, I want everyone to see. And uh, uh, we'll start out here with uh, another look at the uh, rainfall we've had. This is a percent of normal over the last 90 days. So this just goes to show that the, the dry conditions have gone on for a while across the Carolinas. And uh, where you're seeing those uh, little uh, bits of red there, uh, that's where it's been 25% or less than normal uh, over the last 90 days. So that goes back to uh, roughly the 1st of September. And uh, so we've been really dry for a while across the Charlotte metro area up uh, to the north uh, into, into the uh, northern foothills there uh, across the North Carolina coastal plain and a good bit of the South Carolina coastal plain, too. And then uh, back into the South Carolina Midlands. All those areas have been real dry. Uh, thankfully, uh, some areas have had some rain. Uh, we don't have to worry about uh, the rain as much uh, down in uh, Jared's territory in the low country and especially down toward uh, Beaufort. And also much of the upstate, too, has uh, had some, uh, some reasonable amount of rain and in some cases even above normal so there's less concern there so all this uh, rain that we've uh, not had 
uh, in uh, recent months here across South Carolina. Has us in a drought. Uh, we talked about the, the drought conditions in North Carolina a little bit and to a certain extent in South Carolina. Uh, just focusing on South Carolina here, we have uh, about 35 percent of South Carolina in uh, the D1, which is moderate drought, which is where you, you start to, to have some more significant concerns about drought conditions. So, uh, and this is only likely to expand further in coming days because we just don't really have a lot of rain on the way. I'll get to that in just a second here. But I did want to show that uh, the South Carolina Forestry Commission's website showing that we don't have any active fires at the moment. There have been some small ones uh, lately that have uh, been thankfully put out fairly quickly, and most of them are in those uh, very dry areas. So uh, let's take a look at the rainfall potential for both North and South Carolina. Uh, looking at the uh, GFS model here, I'll just focus on that one. The, the euro has been uh, relatively uh, close to the GFS forecast lately, but as you go forth in time, uh, we're going to Friday here, Saturday, Sunday, nothing, uh, even though we have a cold front or two coming through. Uh, going into early next week, it looks as though there'll be some more substantial moisture coming through with a cold front, but not really producing any, any real significant rain. Uh, later next week, maybe we get another front. Uh, the models were showing some decent rain with that across the Carolinas, but have started to back off a little bit and still bringing some decent rain to North Carolina, especially the mountains and areas along and north of uh, I-40, but uh, not so much. And then just going on forward all the way out to the end of the run here, uh, just not a whole lot of rain uh, is on the way to South Carolina and uh, only limited amounts for North Carolina as well. One other concern we need to think about is the, the potential for wind, because if you have the dry conditions, you continue to dry out the soil, you have uh, dry air in place with those low relative humidities, you have to think about uh, uh, the uh, the wind too to uh, further exacerbate the uh, uh, potential for wildfires and how quickly they will spread. And uh, in this case, we'll, we'll look at the surface pattern here and look at those isobars. The closer they are together, uh, the more wind you're going to have because that means you have a, a, a stronger difference in pressure between high and low pressure. Now, in this case, uh, going into tomorrow, those isobars are pretty close together. We have high pressure over southeast Louisiana, uh, low pressure uh, up north in the northeast. And uh, between the two, you can see those uh, isobars get pretty close together across the Carolinas. There will be a breeze blowing. It uh, looks as though particularly up in North Carolina. So uh, both in, uh, in North, both Carolinas, but especially in North Carolina, uh, tomorrow is going to be a day we have to be real careful. Uh, then in time, it looks as though that pressure gradient relaxes a little bit and we're, we're staying dry, but at least uh, we don't have the, the wind to contend with as we go through the weekend. But uh, then uh, early next week, uh, some sort of uh, looks like a backdoor front tries to sneak in. This would be more of a cool northeast wind though so it wouldn't be uh, quite as severe but still uh, with it being dry and a little bit windy that's uh, some concern uh, for uh, higher fire danger nonetheless and again as we go to early next week uh, maybe a little bit of rain probably not a whole lot with that front coming through uh, Monday afternoon and evening and uh, hopefully a better chance for rain later next week I won't go out any further than that at this point but uh, the bottom line is the rain prospects are are very low and uh, we are going to have to uh, uh, buckle up for a long-term concern here for uh, risk for fire and also uh, with the drought conditions. And this is not really anything uh, that we shouldn't be expecting uh, with, with uh, the general setup we have going on right now. There's a La Nina going on in, in the uh, Pacific right now where water temperatures are running cooler than average. Uh, just like uh, El Nino, that has uh, impacts on, on the weather patterns around the world. And uh, here in North America and Eastern North America, where we are, it usually results in uh, drier conditions during the winter months when you have La Nina going on. So uh, no surprise. And uh, these dry conditions uh, may well end up plaguing us for a while. 
you know, Frank, Friday here in Charlotte, high of 76 and sunny. It's going to feel great, but only if we can continue to be responsible humans and maybe put off some of those backyard campfires or other things we might otherwise be doing here in late fall, almost early winter, beginning of December. My backyard is still covered in some leaves and some dry pine straw that naturally occurs. So we got to watch this. We don't have rain anywhere in that forecast. Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, the weather's going to be great. People are going to want to get out and do things, and, and that's fine. Go and enjoy it while, you, while we can here because, you know, we're heading into – we're in December already, and we're not going to see very many more of these 70-degree days. Probably not. <laughs> Uh, going right. forward for the next month or two, so enjoy it while it lasts. But uh, you do have to be real careful, and that includes not just uh, not just with, uh, your typical burning materials and, and and your cigarette butts and so forth, but also be careful where you park your car. Uh, don't mm, park true. your car over dry leaves because that catalytic converter is something like a thousand degrees or, or more, and that can start a fire too. And not only does that start potentially start a wildfire, it burns your car up too. So we don't want that to happen. So uh, absolutely be careful with uh, with your car and where you park it. Uh, don't park it over any any potentially combustible materials. I think there are a lot of things we can do here at home, just like that last tip that would be real smart to help keep us safe. And I'm going to go one more time to that 2020 video that we had with the Forest Service here in the Carolina Weather Group, because now is a prime time to maybe do some of these things around the house. Here are some of them. The first step for most homeowners is you need to realize what your risk is. Um, and so we, are, we always recommend that folks actually do an assessment of their own home uh, or possibly have their neighbor do an assessment of their home. And if they will go to resistwildfirenc.org, that is a, a webpage that we run, and uh, we actually have some links to a home assessment sheet on there. Um, but some different things that are just really quick and easy that any homeowner can do. The biggest one we see is keeping your roof and your gutters clean. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many homes I go out to and I'll take a look around and the gutters will just be simply packed full of leaves and debris. Uh, the fact is when a wildfire comes through it will simply pelt the home with embers, uh, just thousands upon thousands of embers. And one, it just takes one ember landing in that gutter or on that roof, you know, in the eve of that roof where the, where the debris has piled up, and it could easily ignite and start a wildfire there. Um, and the, or, uh, I'm sorry, ignite that home. And the last place that you want to have a fire is on the roof of your house. Oh, so very true. We've talked a lot during this special broadcast tonight about the dry vegetation and the fuel that it provides, but also fire breaks, whether they're in the forest or maybe even on your property, if you strategically place, say, a sidewalk or a path, what role that can play in helping to prevent fire from spreading. But with the right fuels and the right wind, the uh, Insurance Institute in South Carolina showed us earlier this year on the Carolina Weather Group how all of those factors can come together and make a fire spread very quickly. Take a look. 
And uh, I know you guys were just recently playing with some forest fire stuff. I mean, you guys do it all. Yeah, so, so please check out, just search um, disastersafety.org, at disastersafety, that's our Twitter handle. For the hail study, you can go to at IBHS hail study. We've got a couple different websites there. Disastersafety.org is our consumer facing one. You'll see a lot of the videos. Our, our centerpiece, as is, is, is Scotty mentioned, is a full-scale uh, test facility. It's a full-scale wind tunnel. But we also test multiple perils in there. Um, and right now, we have a really, really neat product project going on that's a collaboration with the United States Forest Service and Tall Timbers, which is a nonprofit um, research group out of Florida that looks at the wildfire hazard. And what we're actually doing is testing fire spread and fuel breaks. So essentially the gaps that not only that fire and hand crews cut around fire lines around large wildfires, but also that we use in landscaping and land use planning to see what, how big do these gaps have to be when fire's progressing through fine fuels? So for us, we used it in some of the work that we did just the other day, we're using beds of pine needles uh, as our fine dried fuel. And what you see is fire under wind conditions, the flame actually tilts down and that's what actually kind of jumps the fuel bed. Now there's the ember problem as well, but what we're trying to see is how do we stop the flaming front of the fire using fuel breaks? So essentially gaps. And so we, were, we had instrumented these gaps used different distances the other day in our work. We had gravel, that was our, our, our gap between one fuel bed and then the target um, fuel bed. And what you do see under wind conditions, the flames tilt over. And as soon as they touch that volatile fuel on the other side, they could ignite. And there's a certain distance in which the flames can do that. Um, and it is remarkable to watch um, the spread over just say 40 feet um, a fire in, in under a minute under just 20, 30 mile per hour wind conditions in our test chamber. And so there's a couple different applications. There's the application for fire services and understanding under what conditions, how big does the fuel break? Does the gap, does the fire line have to be? And then there's the other land use landscaping side of things. So a really, really cool uh, partnership group of testing. We've been doing this for about a month now. So a lot of meticulous work, uh, a lot of folks doing it. And Christian Morgan from WFMY, right at the start of tonight's broadcast, talked about how the fire at Pilot Mountain is 50% contained, meaning that they have made fire breaks. But we've talking tonight a lot about those dry, windy conditions. And you guys saw those flames in that video as the Insurance Institute cranked up their weather fans. And that caused the flames to tilt over just enough that the flames were actually able to lean over and touch the other side of their short fire break, combined with the idea that embers could also be carried. Let's bring back in the rest of our panel we got dan whitaker jared smith and scotty morgan and guys i think that video from the insurance institute where they're able to simulate real weather conditions right there in south carolina really showed us i think what on the front lines the firefighters have been dealing with on pilot mountain let me bring dan whitaker back in because dan you were there does all of this kind of ring a bell and kind of bring it full picture you think yeah for sure the um the video that we just saw is is parallel to what I was watching, um, especially Sunday night. Um, and, and James, if you have the video with the um, uh, the the knob actually kind of catching fire there, um, give me the, a second. Um, you can see the the flames and the wind kind of uh, blowing really strongly from the north to the south, uh, and that fire uh, spread really rapidly during that time up the mountain, along the side of the mountain. Um, we saw really strong winds that night. 
uh, versus the uh, nights following, um, right? So here, here we go. Um, you can kind of see the smoke here blowing really kind of strongly. It's uh, blowing to the south from the north, and um, and it's obviously blowing strong enough to uh, make the smoke kind of uh, stay lower and heads um, in into that south direction rather than kind of spreading out upwards and outwards. So, um, yeah, that's definitely why I think fueled that particular night to spread as much as it did and take over so much of the mountain. You can see in this, this portion of the time-lapse here, um, the fire actually kind of, uh, this is the time-lapse that really shows exactly how that fire moved. Um, this is maybe 10 seconds long, this portion. Um, if you take this video and actually speed it up to about three seconds, you can you can see it start at a small area and expand rapidly. Uh, it's it's pretty insane. Um, the nights after Sunday night, Monday night, we saw a little bit of wind kind of propelling the fire, um, um, but uh, not nearly as much as as this particular instance here. So yeah, I mean this if you kind of take this video and put it side by side from the video we just watched in the um, showing the the fire conditions that kind of helps it spread um i do think we'd see kind of very parallels there so i'm a city slicker looking out the window at mountains is, is gorgeous i can't imagine what it would be like to look at a window and see a huge candle of a mountain just burning like that in the distance no matter how close i was to it how natural of a process it may or may not be i think that would give me a lot of anxiety james right. I spoke with some folks today. I didn't record it, but just talking to um, some folks who lived around the mountain in McDowell County, and and they said they have their go bags beside the door ready to go at a moment's notice. Uh, they said they lived about a mile from the from where the fire was at, um, but with as volatile as, as the fire is, with the wind, the dry conditions, um, they are on alert. They're ready to go, and they said it was frightening that they couldn't sleep at night. They would wake up every hour just to see if that glow was any closer to their home. So um, it really has a real impact on these folks who, who live close to these fires, and um, you know that's something that we need to be mindful of as people uh, in the community that we may have to help them out in some way god forbid you know homes or anything catch on fire and we hope it doesn't but uh, you know at a moment's notice you, you may have a family member who who may need to seek shelter with you because uh, the fire is quickly approaching their home so that, that's something that is a, is a real concern of some people right yeah and and we saw the same thing around pilot mountain too where um when i first went out sunday afternoon um early sunday afternoon we saw uh, locals kind of preparing to leave their house, and um, I talked to one local, and, and and they were actually saying, you know, we're we're watching people leave. Um, fortunately, that fire didn't affect any homes or structures that we know of. So, um, but but yeah, the looking out your window and being able to see something like this in the background has got to be a scary uh, feeling, uh, especially with such an iconic kind of you know whatever your scenic view is. Um, that you're used to looking up to every day. Um, now all of a sudden it's become a dangerous thing. And um, in this video right here, you can see kind of the juxtaposition of, of a nice house with a beautiful view, which all of a sudden is a nice house with a very dangerous view. You know, another thing there that I've, I've been noticing just in some of the videos here is that just you can see where the, the, the mixed layer near the surface, you can see it's very shallow. And, and you see that smoke kind of getting trapped and blowing down downwind 
everybody downwind of this fire is going to have just awful air quality. It is, you know, you're going to you're going to have issues for people with, you know, unhealthy and, you know, air for sensitive groups. Um, you know, and, you know, the thing, you know, also have to keep in mind is that there's a little virus going around and that has potentially, you know, compromised some people with, you know, with their ability with their lungs. And so, uh, you know, this, so there's definitely like especially at night, we saw that you could see that um, that inversion really set in and and with not a lot of, you know, and, and it's a, a sign of stability. So with not a lot of rain, I mean, not a lot of inst- instability, nothing coming across. I mean, this thing is going to it's it's going to be basically entirely human intervention tamping this guy down. So uh, just incredible shots here, man. Yeah. And, and from being out there, too, the uh, um, I think. Uh, what was it? I mean, I've, you know, I've spent a few days, um, kind of around the mountain in the wildfire, but, um, the last few days, my sinuses have been congested. You can probably hear, it. um, I, uh, the smoke has really messed with me and my whole car smells like a campfire right now. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is rough. I mean, um, we also saw imagery and you can see from right here, this, the smoke, um, traveling really far South we saw that uh, smoke trail going as far as about Lexington um, and uh, particularly uh, which day was it? I guess it was um, uh, Tuesday afternoon. You can see that smoke kind of traveling down. Uh, there's aerial shots from, from far away outside of the restriction zone and, uh, and other pictures and imagery that you could see the, the plume of smoke traveling um, deep into Winston-Salem visually from the mountain. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm sure the smoke was, was causing problems in those areas. Yeah, we have some high clouds on the satellite right now. It'll be very interesting to see what this looks like when that high cloudiness moves away overnight into tomorrow. I suspect that on the true color imagery on the satellite and in, in the shortwave imagery, we're going to see a, a really good hot spot. We're going to see, you know, a very significant um you know, smoke plume show up. So, I mean, that, that'll give us a good idea of just what the, the aerial impact uh, is going to be here. So, yeah, not a good situation. And, uh, well, we would love some rain, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I think to, that's to a- pig- yeah, I was going to say, to piggyback off that, uh, Frank gave us the forecast breakdown, but, you know, the models, as you get closer and closer, are kind of thinning that rain out more and more and more. Uh, I don't want folks to get excited over a 20 to 30% chance because that's more miss than hit uh, in the rainfall department. And uh, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. I mean, it, we've all seen the climate prediction centers outlook for the, for at least through mid December and, and it's, it's hot. I mean, just 70 degrees in, in December is hot and it looks hot and, and relatively dry. And I'm afraid we're going to have this issue for, for at least a couple more weeks. Well, and, and and again, drought begets drought. It is that much harder. The longer a drought goes, it is that much harder to overcome. You have to have a greater shift in the pattern in order to, you know, in order to break that drought. Um, and this is just a dry time of year around here. Yeah. yeah. That, Tim, Tim Buckley and I, we were texting it and we said, this is scarily similar to 2016. I mean, it, it's kind of a flash drought we had some rain there early in october and then since then uh we've not we've not had you know a lot of rain at all around here i was looking at some of the some of the data and james you know over the last 30 days alexander county 0.73 inches of rain over the past 60 days 
2.12 inches of rains. So that that's that's wow. not a lot, and that's not going to help out the situation. Well, we and have the some. drought the drought monitor comes out tomorrow. I'd be interested to see how how it further expands. We have some pictures and video that you took in 2016, also in McDowell County, also near Marion, and you can see that as you just mentioned. It is that time of year. This was November 10th of 2016 live right here on the Carolina Weather Group. And that was going to be my point. We have two fire seasons here, primarily in the Carolinas, one in the spring and one in the fall. And when you take these drought conditions and you put that together with the vegetation and our and our climate, we're going to keep a close eye on this. And, and that's what you can get from us here at the Carolina Weather Group. If, if you are new to us, we are a weekly Wednesday night weather show talking weather, science, technology, and more from the Carolinas and beyond. And fire weather is a part of that. Uh, we don't talk about fire weather a whole lot, but when we do, it's, it's something significant like this. And as you can see with the resources we have, we can um, get you some of that analysis and that insight and even on the ground reporting. Before we go tonight, I want to play a short clip of Scotty of your report that you filed from McDowell County uh, earlier. You can see the full report on our YouTube channel, Carolina Weather Group. But here's just a, a little snippet of, of Scotty earlier today. Listening to a lot of uh, aircraft flying over, some helicopters here dropping water occasionally, also some planes flying uh, up above to kind of get the acreage and just kind of get a handle on the situation of how far uh, this fire has advanced. Uh, it's very rugged terrain in these areas, so it's hard to get officials up there, firefighters up there fighting the blazes. So a lot of what's going on right now is from the air, aerial attacks. So they'll be uh, dumping water occasionally on this fire to help uh, try to get it suppressed. Uh, hopefully, over the next day or two, we can get uh, some more firefighting crews up there to help battle this blaze. And until then, you can do your part at home in North Carolina, in South Carolina, and beyond. Put off burning of leaves, put off burning of vegetation, campfires and the like. It may not be what you want to do, especially this time of year, but the fires that we've shown you tonight, at least the ones on the Pilot Mountain, Surrey County area, caused by campfires. People who thought they were doing what they were supposed to be doing or thought they could get away with it, but they were going to be responsible. And lo and behold, we have a fire over a thousand acres and counting so uh, we will uh, continue to keep an eye on this fire weather situation here on the carolina weather group we'll bring you updates as the news warrants as we did earlier in this week with a special report that we brought you on the platforms of the carolina weather group including youtube and our audio podcast wherever it is that you get audio podcast we are scheduled next week to bring you an interview with mark suddeth of hurricane track.com these guys talked to him earlier tonight and uh, we're going to chop that up and bring it to you next week as we look back on the 2021 hurricane season, which wrapped up today, believe it or not, the hurricane season ended today. And we'll hear more about Mark's adventures and his reflections coming up next week on an all new edition of the Carolina Weather Group. And like I said, we'll be along with updates on the fire or whatever else may come along as uh, conditions warrant. So, guys, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up this live edition of the Carolina Weather Group on what was a doubleheader night for us here, December 1st, 2021. If you joined us for our fire show but missed our first broadcast at 9 p.m., we did bring you some never before seen moments with James Spann. He's chief meteorologist at ABC 3340 in Birmingham and host of Weather.
Weather Brains, the podcast. So doubleheader night here in the Carolina Weather Group, and you can find that also on YouTube or wherever it is you get your audio podcast. But on behalf of Dan and Jared and Scotty and Frank, and special thanks to Christian Morgan, I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here again real soon.